Hey, welcome to The Fulfillionaire Show. This is season two, and I brought a very, very special guest on today, someone who actually completely lives up to the work that he does and the, the promises that he makes. And we just had a really good chat right before starting here. And he told me some things that were really special and meaningful that I didn't understand about the work that he does. But let's just set the context, right? We're in this COVID world that we're starting to come out of. It's been a long journey. And a part of that journey is, as some of you may know, I adopted three kids about a year and a half ago. And they're all in this like elementary school about to be in middle school age. And the journey of COVID for them has been a very, very different one. And with homeschooling, with remote learning, uh, with some schools being in person and sometimes in person, sometimes not. And the instability around these children's lives has been really interesting. So I thought it'd be really special to bring on one of my favorite teachers from my high school years. And I've got a lot of stories about this guy that are really interesting, but to give you some context, he, the year that I was in his class, which was called Peer Assisted Leadership in high school, was his last year as a teacher at that school. And then he went on to do speaking full-time and creating content around all the ideas he had apparently been testing on us and had been working, obviously, because well, I'll, I'll give you more stories about how I found out about the class and how you get in and all that stuff at some point. But he just came out with a book called Dear Teacher, which obviously is very timely because teachers, even maybe more than kids, have had a very hard time in this transition of COVID and needing to do this remote learning because how do you control an eight-year-old or a 14-year-old on the other side of a screen, right? How do you get them to focus and care about what it is that you're teaching and not just uh, shop on target.com while you're trying to teach something. So the book is a hundred chapters. They're very short chapters. They're motivational, they're inspirational, but more importantly, they give teachers something to look forward to maybe to read every day that will inspire them to continue doing the great work that they do uh, for really all of humanity. In addition to that, he's got a website. It's teachlikearockstar.com. It's halbowman.com. It's all these like really cool titles. And he's got the graphic on his shirt there that you'll, you'll see maybe throughout the whole thing. It's really, really awesome. And he does basically like customized subscription stuff for school districts, uh, public school districts. And I'm really curious to dig into exactly why he's chosen the route that he has with the work that he's doing, because I'm sure there's a lot of good meaning there. And his real overall goal is to just help teachers become the teachers they've always wanted to be. That teacher, when they were going to school to become a teacher, when they first decided they wanted to become a teacher and they visualized who they could be before the nonstop brooding of children got to them, before the politics and the bureaucracy of education got to them. So welcome to the show, Hal Bowman. You know what, brother? I've just decided if anybody ever asks me what I do for a living, I want to have them call you and put you on speakerphone because you did <laughs> such a better job than I ever do. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. It's uh, it's really meaningful for me, you know, to have you on here. So, I'll give that context of when I was a junior in high school. There was this program called Peer Assisted Leadership Pals. And it was sort of like a mythological class to some extent. I knew that you had to apply to get into it and not everyone who applied would get into it. And it was very mysterious, like how, what was the difference between the people that got in and the people that didn't. And to my knowledge, the, the only truth was that bullies wouldn't get into it, even if they were the cool kids. But then anyone that wasn't a bully that was a cool kid would probably get in as long as they were a good person. And I have no idea how they were able to figure out like who was who, but as soon as we saw like who got in, we were like, wow, they, they really like nailed that and kind of trimmed some of the, the crazy people out of there. And it was crazy because you'd show up to like your first day of class. And first of all, you always got this pass, right? That was like, you could walk around the hallways during school session and it would be like an okay thing. I don't know how they negotiated this. It was like an okay thing in our school, but Basically, it gave you like permission to do a lot of really cool things. And we mentored kids through the year. So we had three different kids that we would mentor and we would travel to their schools every week to go spend half an hour, 40 minutes with them. And a lot of these kids were elementary and middle school. And they came from like really tough families and they had like a really hard time in life. So this was a way for us to be 
a positive younger role model for them, which the more I've aged, the more I see how important that is to have not just teachers and parents and even grandparent figures as role models, even if they're not blood related, but to have those younger people that are trying to do good in the world already be a part of their life. And that's what PALS was all about. So Bowman was like this crazy guy with like this super long, really fluffy hair. I'm going to find a photo on the internet and I'll post it up on the interview so you guys can just see how crazy it was. And he had like an 11 out of 10 energy at all times I ever saw him. And I was like, who is this guy? And then as I got closer to PALS, I was like, he's the PALS teacher. Like he's that guy. And then obviously like having done the class for the year, he is exactly, and he told me right before the interview, he's like trying to get teachers to be the teachers that are remembered forever and go figure him and I have caught up throughout the years and now he's on the show. So exactly what he said. It, let me just tell you real quick. The funny thing is when you mentioned about the past and always walking around in the hallways, the secret, you know, the class was peer assistance and leadership, but behind the scenes, all the other teachers, they referred to the pals class as people always leaving school because <laughs> <laughs> in their mind because you know what we did have a mystique about it and i really didn't want uh, a lot of other it wasn't i want kids knowing what we we're going i mean i really wasn't interested in the opinions of other teachers and what they thought about it because as you know and you kind of found out to, what the pal experience that classroom like you have to be in it to really get it you can you, you can talk about it all you want, but no one really knows what that class is about until you're part of it and you can feel it. You feel part of something bigger than yourselves. You see the you, you see real evidence of making a difference in the life of a kid younger than you. And dude, like being a senior in high school and having that experience, like you understand, oh my gosh, like one of the keys of this crazy world is I become all that I give away. And what we realized, the whole goal for me as a class is, yeah, I want to change the lives of little kids for sure. But really, my idea was these seniors are getting their lives changed. We're shifting the trajectory of a, of a kid's life because of all they've given to another kid. And they realized that's the answer moving forward. No matter what my career is, my job is to serve and help and give others because that's who I'm going to become. Yep. It's 13 years since I took that class and I still have the photos I took with one of the kids that I mentored that year. His yeah. name was Diego. And I remember the day I was going to meet him, everyone was like, oh, dude, no, man. Like, this is not a good kid. Like, this is, a, this is like the worst kid in this class. And I was like, oh, God, is he going to beat me up? Like, what? he's like a fifth grader. <laughs> and it was totally not like that. And we were like super, super tight by the end of the year and everything. And it was great. And he, he was one of those kids too. He tried to like push you away and really tried to like be tough and like not be your friend, you know? Yeah, for sure. There's some, I think that's what they're supposed to do. I mean, like, like that kid specifically, I know for sure that kid, like everyone had quit on that kid everyone that's why his teacher picked him to get him out of the room once a week like that that's the thought like who do you want to send to pals as a, in your fifth grade class that one right there get him out once a week that would be awesome thank you oh god you know and so and the, the principals quit a lot of times the parents have quit on them and so when you show up, up like that's the role of the kid is to convince you to quit on them because that's what's going to happen eventually let's just get that done now but when the kid realized that this kid skip keeps coming back every week he doesn't give up then that's when they break down and you have these amazing relationships yeah so why did you start pals like how did that begin how did you even it's with the mystique and everything like how were you able to create something like that you know what it was, man? It was going on before I got there. It was one class, had about 15 kids in it. And, um, and they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, no, I don't. Because, you know, in PALS, one of the things we do is we talk about how, like, if we're going to make a difference in the life of a child, like, we have to be that. Like, they have to, they have to see it. If they're going to be it, we have to show it if we're going to grow it in these little kids. And so we asked for some things things and one is like we asked we're senior year no partying man no drinking no drugs no like i'm not asking anybody to make a life commitment i'm just talking you know until you graduate then you make your own make another decision and, and but back then what 
pals was before I showed up, it was it was like the high school drinking team, like like they decided we'll do that. What we what, what our approach is, we're just going to do it with each other only and keep it all right here and not tell anybody what we're doing. And so I didn't want to be a part of that. And then just one thing led to another, and I finally convinced me. And then um, it, the thing just kind of took off. And you know what it was? There's a couple of things. One is my first year, I realized that our students don't match the kids that we're serving. And what we had was a lot of drill team, white girls named Casey and Kaylee and Brittany and Kelsey. And, and you know, when they're, and they go to youth group, but that's not who we serve as kids. So I immediately within my first year or two went and talked to guys. Like I, I said, I need every every boy that's a junior if they're passing in classes i need them and so i did a presentation for them talking about you know what, what it means to be someone's hero and to be a man and and to, and to make a difference in the lives of kids and, and your role on this planet and so we recruited more boys and the thing just kind of grew and grew and then it was still was hard to get kids to to really uh, want to do it so then just did some basic marketing strategy with is make it harder to get in and to do like a you know a mystique factor like what is that thing what like what is going on in that room and and then you know when i kind of took on those approaches then we'd have hundreds and hundreds of students apply for you know 50 or 60 spots wow and then fast forwarding what was like? What was it like to make that decision to leave the school and start your own thing? I mean, I feel like that that had to have been an intimidating point. Um, you know, for me, it wasn't intimidating financially or in terms of purpose because I was already there. You know, as far as you know, doing an entrepreneur thing outside of teaching, <laughs> the good news is it's not a hard income to replace. The downside is. Um, I couldn't leave. I could have left three or four years before that based on the work I was doing outside of school, but there was no, and this is, and I might hurt feelings, but with 300 teachers in that school, there wasn't one I wanted to leave the program to, not one. I could have let the one lady, um, you know, J-Mac, the ham, Jamie Cunningham, you know, I, I, um, I, I, I could have left it to her, but she wasn't a certified teacher, so we couldn't pull that off. And one of the big deciding factors was when Mr. Allen, Mabry Allen showed up. And, um, and I, when I found that guy, he was a first year teacher. And um, I just knew it like that, like that. So I still remember, this is funny. I don't know if you, you probably don't remember this, but your senior year, your first day of school, I wasn't there because I had a gig. And I had met Mabry and I, um, and I, you know, and he was sitting next to me at a professional development thing before school started and asked him why I become a teacher. And he was said, um, because I was a pal, I was a pal, I was a, I was a pal in high school and I want to be a pal sponsor someday. I was like, Oh my gosh, brother, I got good news for you. I said, what are you doing? And he, his, he had comp, two conference periods. I said, go to the pals room and run the pals class first day. And that, I was speaking that day. And I still remember I was on stage and I felt the stage vibrate because I forgot to turn my phone off. And I went and checked my messages at the break and it was from Jamie Cunningham and it says, you found your boy, he's amazing. So right then I knew I could leave. And wow. I spent that year just getting Mabry in touch with the program and kind of the, the vibe of it and the culture of it. And, uh, and, and, and that was it. Amazing. Wow. So then you went on to create all this other stuff. So you were already doing these gigs before you ever left that school. And then you said, okay, now I'm going to go do yep. this full time and maybe essentially create a lot of Mabry's, right? That was my idea. You know, so, I, you know, that selfishly, if I was purely selfish about this, I'd still be teaching because I love it. However, man, there's a part of me that I really believe in this exponential impact of helping other teachers become the teacher they've always wanted to be. And how do they be the one that the kid thinks about and talks about? And the kid parents their own kids differently because of the influence they had in whatever class that is third grade or 
physics at high school like it does like the 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 content of the class doesn't matter as much as the relationship and and every teacher deep down inside they want to build that relationship with the kid so they can have an influence on that kid's life and i knew if i could do that for those teachers i could have a greater impact you know there's not a day goes by i don't miss it like being in the classroom and being a part of kids lives and like knowing their stories and knowing like for you what's going on with drumline and band and you know your wacky family and all that like i miss being a part of that but i think for for me this work i'm doing right now it has more meaning like i have to sacrifice that to do the more meaningful work what what's um if you could just bring me through a quick story of like what's been one of the most meaningful moments since you left in this work like this meaningful work that you're doing like what's What's like a tangible moment? You know, there's so many, dude. One that stands out is I was in Atlanta, Georgia. I haven't thought of this forever, man. I was in Atlanta, Georgia speaking. And um, I still remember the venue because it was so bizarre. Showed up at a, you know, I rent space in hotels and market to teachers and they come to my little conference I host. And and I remember showing up at this hotel and uh, we get we get in for the air, the flight the night before we get to the hotel. And I said, hey, before we, shut it down tonight can I see the conference room and the lady looks she goes oh yeah it looks like you'll be in the tent I'm like what in the tent it sounded like you just said the tent she goes yeah we have a tent and I said well I'm certainly not in the tent and so she said oh, I'll show you you'll love it and it was the most beautiful tent I've ever seen in my life I mean it had air conditioning and and sound and video it was awesome and um and so the next day we had a big gig there about a couple hundred teachers and one of the things we do in the event the teacher a rockstar event is talk about the impact that we can have in the lives of kids we look at the research that everybody walking around to have an impact on ten thousand lives so it's not the one kid in your class it's the ten thousand lives this kid is going to go on an impact and we and i help teachers calculate that how many kids do you have in your class 32. So it's not the 32, it's the 32 times 10,000. How many years have you taught times how many kids per year? It gets astronomical and tens of hundreds of millions of lives have been impacted because of the work in the classroom. And I always do, I said, let's calculate it. Who's been teaching the longest? Who's been here for, who's been in the classroom over 50 years? Over, you know, 60. And this, this older lady stands up and everybody cheers. And we, we calculate, she's a choir teacher. And we calculate her with how many numbers of kids come through choir every year times 10,000, how many years time to it's a hundred million. And we all clap for her and she sits down and somebody raises their hand and he, and he stands up. He goes, I want to say that I was in her choir 10 years ago. And then, and we all and like, well, let's calculate that because we, that's part of her number. Mm-hmm. And then another person stands up and we had seven people in the room from all over the state of Georgia that were in this woman's choir and to have, wow. and for them to understand that this is the impact because we all have that story. Like there, our kids are everywhere walking around, living these lives, impacting other people because of what they learned in your classroom. And those kinds of moments, man, like, like that's a, that's a lifetime memory. Wow. That's amazing. So bring me back in time a little bit. When did this idea, when did you, how long had you been a teacher? And then when did you get the idea that you wanted to teach teachers? You know, this is, this is the, this is the psychopathic narcissistic part of me is like from the very beginning. Okay. When I was 21, I was thinking, dude, I could do this better than them. You know, and like, and I would go see speakers and I would go to conferences and conventions and all that stuff. And then, and some dude and some lady be on stage and they're just riveting. And I could, and just the fact that they can move emotion in the room. And, you know, and I just kind of became a student of that. And so I've always thought about it. It's always been a part of me, like someday I'm going to do that. At the same time, I sucked as a teacher. So, which is because So the whole thing is completely ridiculous when you think about it. You know, I'm in my car crying after school because I'm so t- terrible and the kids hate me and I hate them. And, you know, like, oh, I can't figure this thing out. Oh. 
<laughs> it's a, but still, I'm thinking to myself, well, I could teach teachers how to do this, though. <laughs> so the whole thing's ridiculous, man. And then, um, but, you know, once I kind of figured out this teaching game and really what it's about and how to connect with kids and, and that it has nothing to do with the delivery of content and everything to do with getting in that kid's heart and soul then you know the whole thing kind of made sense to me and and then i knew i was ready and then you know honestly just one day i decided i'm gonna host a conference where i'm gonna speak all day and uh, and, th and that was the birthplace of it all whoa okay so i talk about this idea it's called two seconds of courage and there's there's like a few core ideas that i talk about and this is this is one of the big ones and this two seconds of courage is like, we all get to a, like a moment where we're like, oh, you know, there's something I really feel like I need to do, but I'm terrified of that thing. Or I like, all it takes is like one click. Like I'm 51% I'm excited and 49% scared. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna like make the click or make that phone call or like say that thing to that person. Was this one of those moments where you were like, I'm just gonna do an all day event and I, and I have to like, like, how long did you think about it before you started the process of making it happen? Dude, it was years because you're right, man. Like, yeah, but would always come into my mind. I would get so fired up and I'll do this. I have materials everywhere and all the stuff I created and I'm ready to, yeah, but no one's going to sign up for this, you know? And, you know, I'll tell you what it was is uh, we had a lady at our school back then. Her name was Barbara Crook and she was our director of instruction. And she would come to my class all the time. And, uh, and I, not only did I teach PALS, I taught another class called Teen Leadership. And one of the sections of Teen Leadership, no, no one knew this at the time, but it was really all the kids coming back from alternative placement where they got caught with drugs and were fighting and went to alternative school. And then we bring them back to our campus. So we called it halfway house is what we affectionately referred to that class as. And the kids called them, and the kids called the class Bowman's Dirty 30. Because we always had 30 kids in the class. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, we had shirts and everything. And um, so we had Bowman's Dirty 30. And she was a big fan of that class because I was getting these kids integrated back into school, hooking them up with something they could be a part of, getting them connected with another teacher, a group of kids that they could hang with. And then Barbara went on to be a principal at another school. And she said, will you come talk to my teachers and teach my teachers how you do what you do and and that really made me formulate everything because I never thought, well, how do I do it? I don't even know how I do it. I just do my thing. And so like when you really put some scope and sequence to it and a curriculum and a, and a flow and like, and why would they even listen to me? And then I kind of came up with my style on how to deliver the information, which is critical. And every step along the way, and I went and did that gig and every step along, like, I, am I, am I going to really do this for like a real thing? And dude, you know what it came down to is the day I decided to leave, I went into uh, a principal's office and I said, hey, listen, I got something to tell you. She goes, what is it? I'm all crying and everything. She goes, you can tell me. And I said, hang on. And I went outside the door and I called my wife. I said, are we really doing this? And she goes, get in there and you quit. Don't call me back until you quit. So I go back in there <laughs> and I tried it again. Right. I tried it again. I couldn't even get the words out. Cause I'm telling you, dude, I love the work. I loved it so much. And I love being part of that school family too. And, and like we always say, man, it's easy to quit a job, but it's so incredibly difficult to quit a family. And I felt like I was quitting all the kids that were signed up for next year. And I was quitting other teachers in Cunningham. And, um, and I, so I went back, I left the room again and called my wife again. And then she called me some names and said horrible <laughs> things about me and my mom. And she said, get back in there and quit, quit being such a, and so I went back in there and I've, and I did it, man. And it was, you know, it was terrifying, but you know how sometimes you confuse the emotions of fear and excitement. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, like they're the same, like symptomatic, the same feeling in your gut, the same feeling in your chest, the same breathing pattern. And I'm, you know, I'm like, and just all the work I've done, like, man, you know what? I'm not terrified. I'm freaking excited is what I am. Wow. Yeah. So then bring me back even further. Were there, was there a, or were there some teachers for you that made a really big difference? 
Yeah, man, both good and bad for sure. You know, um, you know, I remember, you know, in my younger years, I remember we had uh, Ms. Ziff and she was terrifying. I mean, she was the tallest, the loudest, meanest, strictest, the most, you know, circumferencest, you know, any, anything with an ist, man, that was her. And, and, and I didn't want to be in her class, but I ended up in third grade and, you will never forget, man. I mean, she was all that and she was terrifying and, but we learned more than ever. But, 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 but before we entered that classroom every day, she hugged every kid, you know, which is a, which is a lot to handle. It's a lot of them as if wrapping around you. And, um, and she looked everyone in the eye and said, I love you. This will be your best year ever because I love you. And she would hug you and push you into the room. And at the end of every day, no matter what happened, same thing, man. You could be, you could have your name on the board. You're on red. I mean, you, your worst day ever at school. She hugged you every day. Thank you so much for being in my class. I love you. This will be your best year ever. And she pushed you out down the hall and scream at you, get home. <laughs> you know, and like that, like think, I didn't know it then, but thinking about that, it's almost as if, if a kid is convinced that you love them and will do anything for them, you can have like the highest expectations ever and demand the most. In, in terms of learning and, and, and uh, effort. So, so teachers like that, when I think back, you know, I didn't get it at the time. And then of course, you know, later in life, man, you know, have, you know, having band directors that really served more as a, as a male role model in my life that I needed at the time. And I learned that, you know, men can be um, strong and, and all those, you know, typical traditional masculinity type of stereotypes, but in addition, vulnerable and, and, and loving and authentic in, in how they live their life and who they are and what they say, you know, and congruent. Um, it was, you know, all, like those types of teachers, man, it changes your life. It, it creates who you are. And to go even further, what, what was your family like? Why, I'm curious, because of course, like Miss Ziv or Miss Zev, one of those two? Ziff, yeah. Ziff, Miss Ziff. I actually had a, a teacher like that um, in eighth grade before I came to Sci Springs. Um, I'll have to remember her name and bring it up because maybe you know of her because she was like wonderful. Um, so going back further before even Miss Ziff, what what was your own family life like growing up? Where did you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey, and um, Jersey. Yeah, right. It was, um, dude. It was like you know, at the time you think it's idyllic, you know. We had two parents, and and I more had more of a uh, at that time more of a traditional upbringing where you know your mom is super involved in everything and affectionate and loving and the cheerleader. And man, I was, you know, I was part of the everybody gets a trophy generation before that thing ever existed. My mom was amazing at rewarding, you know, any little bit of effort and whatever I wanted to do, we'll do it. You know, you want to play guitar, we're taking guitar lessons. You want to do karate, we'll get in karate class, well, whatever. And, um, and my dad was more of a, you know, back then, uh, you know, just a standoffish, um, you know, not, I mean, not a lot of affection and conversation and all that he you know he did the work and made the money and brought it home and you know did the work around the house you know that that's sort of a style and uh but yeah man it was it was good I mean you know c compared to what I what my friends were going through at least I had parents <laughs> you know what I mean and then at what point did you, I'm, I'm starting to connect some dots here too, as far as your mom and like everybody gets a trophy and like love and acceptance for whatever you want to do. Because the question was going to be, at what point did you say like, hey, I'm actually going to become a teacher and I'm going to go to school to do this. And like everybody's reaction around you to that decision Dude, it was rough. First of all, I mean, I had no business being a teacher, man. I, I was terrible in school. Just, I didn't care. It was just a, getting, I mean, I was a, I mean, I was a valedictorian of the fourth quarter. 
I was number one <laughs> in the fourth quarter. <laughs> and just because of a lack of interest and lack of effort, you know, man, I just didn't care. And uh, I mean, I just, and then, you know, through some sort of a clerical mix up, I was admitted to a university. And, you know, and the only reason I went, dude, is like I was, re my mom had me convinced that the only job option you had, if you didn't go to college, the only job option you had was fast food. Like I believed her, you know, it, it, and you talk about a different world now. I mean, but back then, like that you could convince a kid of that. Now there's mm -hmm. just no way kids have to figure it out. And um, so, you know, I went to college and I didn't know what to major in. I liked um, law enforcement sh television shows. So I majored in criminal justice. And then, um, <laughs> And then one day I was just walking by the band hall and heard drumline and heard brass warming up. I thought, man, I missed that. That'd be cool. Maybe I'll be a band director. And um, I went and changed my major. And when that happened, man, it was a shocker because the last person anybody ever thought would be a teacher was me. And so, yeah, man, so I graduated and went and student taught at the high school I graduated from at Katie High School. And you should have seen a look on those teachers' faces <laughs> when I walked in the first day. They're like, you've no. be kidding me. There's no way he made it through college. <laughs> and they were just, it was just, I mean, like mouths open, three of them looking at me, just shaking their heads like, this cannot be for real. And, um, and so, yeah, and then it's, things just kind of took off, man. Wow. Yeah, that was your 21-year-old. Like, I could do better. I could do better than this. I could teach yeah. them how to do this. Yeah. Easy. Well, and to some extent, that's entirely true because now you're able to help teachers connect with kids that were like you. Dude, I always say this, man. The biggest challenge we have with teachers is they were awesome. They were awesome students. They were connected. They were in drill team. They were in band. They're, they're an athlete. They're a student council. School came easy to them. They were gifted. This is fun. I'll just keep doing this. So they go to college. Oh my God, I'm just going to keep going. This is amazing. I love learning. And they show up in the classroom as an educator and they've got one kid in there. Sarah sitting in the front row is just like them and everybody else ain't like that. They, they don't understand. They're the anomaly. They're not normal. The other 28 kids are the normal ones, you know what I mean? And it's so hard for lots of teachers to get to wrap their head around that, no, people don't really enjoy literature. That's you, <laughs> you know, nobody wants so to I read feel Canterbury like Tales. We just breached a subject that's like insanely valuable. And I'm, I'm sure you've talked about this, but I'm just going to ask the, the question. And the question is, if we extrapolate that principle, that idea that pretty commonly we are all that one out of 29 kids at something in our life, and it's very hard for us to see the other 28, what are some, some principles or stories? I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of value I could dig into there of like how, just to start, like how do you teach a teacher to start to understand the other 28 kids so that we can clarify, like as an adult, how can I connect with the other 28 adults in that room that are not like me? Yeah, man, these, this is a huge question. First of all, just the idea of, you know, there's you're, you're if you have 28 people, 30 in a room, there's, there's you and there's something special and your passion. For me, that's a huge part of teaching that alone. What this thing is all about is a couple, like I want to empower a kid to discover what that passion is, to say yes to that. We'll figure out how to make money out of it, man. But what is it that you love? What can you say yes to? And, you know, and, you know, I think we, there's a lot of um, dialogue back and forth about that. Like, well, I don't know. I don't want to, but it doesn't matter. Just what are you interested in? Say yes to that. And that's going to lead you to something else. And that's going to lead you to the next thing and lead you to the next thing. But just go all in on whatever you loved to. And it doesn't matter if it's whatever, man. It could be something in the arts or make or video editing, or it could be auto mechanics. So it doesn't matter. The thing doesn't matter. Just say yes to whatever your interest is. And that's and eventually down the line, we're gonna find the passion. And for me, it's all about relationship. Like, yeah, that, there's a one kid in there 
that you automatically connect with because of DNA. But when I when I tell teachers all the time, man, if you don't, if, if there's if there's a kid in your class that you don't like, the reason you don't like that kid is because you don't know that kid. Like people always talk of, people would say, Bowman, like my dirty 30, how can you love these kids? Listen, I didn't even know the kid when he showed up, but I loved the kid. So that way, eventually I'll feel the emotion of loving the kid. But you have to actively love that kid. And then over time, you just, you love the kid. Hmm. So let me ask you two rapid fire questions and then hit you with another really big one. Rapid fire question number one, you were always super fit. Why? That low self-esteem, brother. <laughs> okay. So if we, if we go back in time, is that why you originally started becoming really fit? I think so. Yeah. Because when you're five foot three and senior in high school, you know, I'm not going to grow vertically. Let's try to get some width on you. <laughs> <laughs> you know and then and then honestly man um since then over my recent years you know competing on you know bodybuilding contests and all that sort of thing it really has just become um just another part of it's almost like an immaturity thing like i love to do the stuff other people can't get themselves to do and i know that's probably not a healthy motivator but it, it works for me like if like you know when i first started getting into I wanted to compete somewhere and I looked at I mean, the first thing I looked at was marathons and I saw the New York marathon. I said, ah, I could, let me do that. And then I realized you had to qualify. Thought, wait a minute. We got tens of thousands of people that all qualified. So there's like hundreds of thousands of people. That's too many people. I'm not interested. I want something more select and harder than that. And so, yeah, man. So the fitness thing probably started with just, you know, trying to find a way to feel good. Got it. And then second rapid fire question. You've mentioned your wife a couple times in different stories. And it seems like she's played a pretty critical role in like kind of getting you over that last hump. And it also sounds like she's really tough. Um, when did you meet her? How did you meet her? We met on the first day of school in the eighth grade. We're both new to new to that school. And she even we sat next to each other in a few classes and at lunch. And she missed her bus, so she came home with me because I live right by the school. So we she walked over to my house so we could figure out how to call her mom and get her mom to come get her after we had spaghetti dinner. And uh, we've just been besties ever since. And you know, all through junior high and high school and college, you know, we all had, you know, we had I girlfriends and she had different boyfriends but we were all you were always besties and remained in touch and then um you know it, years years went by and we both realized that we ran out of options and so we're stuck with each other <laughs> i'm just kidding we we uh we uh just you know just something shifted man and we thought this would be kind of cool if we made a life we figured out how to make a life out of this deal mm. and then how many kids have you had now we have two kids. We have Lily. She's an amazing uh, honor student in college. She's also an RA and she's an actress. And we have uh, Jones, my boy. He's 15 and he's all boy, all animal, extreme sport kind of guy. Probably the funniest person I've ever met in my life. Wow. And then what, have there been any challenges with your own kids? <sighs> I mean, just little ones here and there, but nothing like not you know and i just think for whatever it's probably just from teaching and building relationships with so many kids like that's always been the focus rather than having like this rules centered home and consequence based stuff it's all kind of you know built on a foundation of core values and core principles in our home and um, no, man, it's been great. Those core values and core principles, did you make that like a, a verbal thing or is that a written down thing or is that just something that's understood implicitly? Yeah, I think it's just something that's understood. You know, we have some friends that, you know, sit down and have they charts and <laughs> family meetings and things like that. But we're not at all about that, you know, and uh, honestly, it's, it's a lot to do uh, with my wife. And yeah, she is just kind of, you know, has more of a... Um, a stronger presence as a parent for sure 
as uh, some moms uh, do. She, and she's amazing at it. And even when they were little, just little things like, you know, when somebody throws a temper tantrum, like we're not moving on and going on with life until we settle this. It doesn't matter where it is. doesn't matter in front of who, none of that matters. We're going to solve this right now because, and it could be three. Not, and I'm like, can we just, can we just please leave the dentist office? And <laughs> we are not. And she doesn't care if it takes two hours. We're going to get, we're going to figure it out. Wow. And I'm, I'm curious, did she ever explain that to you or was that just intuitively? She's like, no, I'm just not going to deal with this. Yeah. She, she is just, um, no, we never really talked to it because it was all weird. You know, that's the thing about parenting, dude. You know, like we're just trying to figure it out as you go along and praying to God, you don't mess this kid up. And especially in times of intense motions, it's like, man, is this the right thing? Am I, is this the right or should I give in or am I in the wrong? I mean, this is so hard. Surely this can't be right. <laughs> you know, like you question everything. But I think she just had an innate quality that she came into the world with you know i think that um you know this isn't true for all men but for me like i had to learn a lot of those more nurturing uh qualities for sure i had to discover that you know in real time hmm. so i figure or i can imagine that there were some experiences that you had that were like pretty tough with the kids maybe where you saw the difference in like, so earlier you mentioned like with these male figures where they could be tough, they could be intense, but then there was also like this other side of like uh, keeping to integrity and like having that uh, like safer, strong energy around. And it sounds like just now, maybe you had to learn that with your own kids. Sure, man. And just drawing on experiences. And, you know, I went to, I had a counselor for a long time. They helped me a lot through the, because I was terrified of parenting, just terrified. Um, and for a few reasons, you know, one is a big, a big one is if you think about any challenges you might have had with your own parents, the way you justify it is, well, they did the best they could. You know, my dad did the best he could. If he could have done better, he would have done better. And that, that works well right up until you have your own kids and you start thinking, what if that's all I could do? What, what if I want to do better, but can't do better? And so I really sort of struggled a lot with it. And she was one of the people that, you know, um, you just made it an active part of my life to journal, you know, who has influenced me and who may, they didn't have the title of dad or didn't have a title of father, but they served in that role. And what were those qualities? And who do you have in your life right now that you can emulate how they do what they do in their in their relationships with people and how you can put that into your family and and for me man that it was um i call it conscious parenting like you really have to think through this stuff if you're just winging it just kind of going by feel intuition for me there's just no way i'm going to be effective for my wife totally works yeah yeah have you heard of dr shafali no her whole brand is actually called conscious parenting she stole it from me. There you go. There you bill. go. Maybe she did. Invoice. Maybe she did. Licensing fee. Right. So now we're kind of coming back to this like present day. I feel like there's no real good place to, to start. The best place to start is just kind of what's been true for you and how have you been helping teachers and kids during this whole thing that we're in right now. And I've also read a lot about, uh, they're now calling the newest generation that's being born like this last two years, Gen C, because of the, the differences that these kids are going to experience. And I even think about the littles that are downstairs right now, there's two 11 year olds and a 10 year old. And it's been a year, right, without like in real in school, anything. So like, wh what, what are we going to do? <laughs> How is this, do you, because I saw on your website it says that Hal Bowman can see the future of education. And now I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, man, for me, um, what I've been doing specifically during this time, and, you know, I really struggled when this whole thing went down. Because if you remember, like a year ago in March, 
it was really confusing because all we knew we had an extra week at spring break. That's all I knew. And then, well, we're actually going to have an extra two or three weeks. Okay, whatever. And then it just kept, then I really had to reevaluate how, how can I serve? Because I don't, I don't, I really don't have any experience with online education and I, I was suffering too. Like, you know, the reason teachers do the work is because like, they're not in it for the paycheck. They're, the, the fuel for their engine really is making a difference and seeing evidence of that relationship and seeing evidence of the connection, seeing evidence of their work, that this kid's life is changing daily. You can see the metamorphosis of a child because of your work with that kid and they're not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. And so I, you know, I really um, did struggle for the longest time on how to do that. And, um, and, you know, I was doing some zoom conferences and it was, you know, it, 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 I'll tell you this, man, it, it, I'm way better now at it. And, and I really believe it can be effective. There's some pros that, that you can't have in a live setting with everyone in the room for sure. But you know what we miss is the reason that we can be influential on stage as a speaker is because of what I call the emotional synergy. And that is when you bring in an emotion into human beings, when they're all in the same room at the same time, feeling the same emotion, the sum of that is greater than the total part. So it's, a, it's like going to a movie and it's funny and like, oh my gosh, that was the funniest movie ever. And the place is packed. And they tell your friends about it. We got to rent this movie. And, it, and your friend's like, yeah, I guess it's okay. But it ain't that funny. And you're thinking the same, man, it seemed like way funnier in a theater. Well, that's because of the emotional synergy and, and having and influencing lives and helping people to make changes and do something different than what they're used to doing and feels comfortable to help them get uncomfortable man there has to be that emotional synergy there so I knew I was missing that and I thought to myself you know maybe 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 I can have a moment with the teacher one-on-one -on -one. because we're not I don't think the emotional synergy is possible but what if it's a one-on-one -on -one moment on the screen so I started making these videos where they can, you know, I'm just so I would picture teachers laying in their bed before they go to bed and they hold the phone three inches from their face and they can get lost in that world. And maybe that's the key. And so that's what my work has turned into, you know, over the last few months as I kind of figured out this approach that seems to be effective. And man, to answer questions about kids, um, that, I don't know if this is probably not popular, but I do, I know this, I know, I know our, there's, deep concerns right now about mental health and all the stats are up and I understand that I get the research. I also know that kids are incredibly resilient. And I know that once we get back, it's, I know it's not going back to what it was before, but when we get back to some sense of normalcy where we can actually see each other's faces and we can see each other's connections that we can make in the classroom. And we get back with human beings in the same place at the same time, especially kids. I really think there's gonna be an immediate shift in terms of emotional health and psychological health for kids. I think, you know, I, th I, I think that sometimes we underestimate just the resiliency, especially of kids. They're not like us. I'm old and angry, <laughs> kids are different. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I feel like we went through <clears throat> like a similar path, like the first, as soon as March hit, right, they did the online, like all online school, which to be honest, uh, was more work for me than it was for them. You know, so it was a yeah. lot of like, they didn't know how to use the technology. You know, I did, but I'm like trying and then and then at the same time, right, all the adults are like trying to make their own lives work at the beginning of the pandemic. And that's like a whole new thing. So it's like the adults are like trying to adopt all this new technology while the kids have no idea how to use this other technology. That's highly addictive technology too, which is interesting, right? So yeah, it's been a fascinating journey, but I do agree. I, I think like as soon as we get back, they, they've seemed to come a long way since the beginning. Yeah. Like the beginning was really stressful for them. And I think now, we actually have one who doesn't want to go back. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. There's kids out there. Here's the thing, dude. First of all, I think what it's helped people understand is we, it's something we don't talk about. And that a lot of the school, the traditional school, like I'm just going to speak specifically at the high school level, not basic skills, reading and writing. I'm talking about high school level stuff. It is kind of ridiculous. And I think we forgot about that. You know, like um, my son was in the we have a little room where he's still, he's still going to school from home. And uh, he's, you know, in sophomore chemistry class. Ain't going to hear my, I hear, I hear my wife yelling at him, get off your phone. This isn't texting class. It's chemistry class. And I can hear him yelling back. I'm not texting. I'm cheating. And, you know, <laughs> which is, but you know what? This is real life. Yeah. This is what you do when you have a job and you don't know something. You look it up and you ask other people and you collaborate and you find solutions and you get creative and you get in a moment with your friends and you, and you dig down deep, you hash out some ideas, you come up with it. But in school, we call that cheating, you know? And so, it, and like, you know, he's not going to use this. And we, he knows he's not going to, we all know it, you know, and he's taking Spanish. Well, that, listen, I, the odds of him being a fluent Spanish speaker is the uh, same odds of me and you after we took high school Spanish. It's just not going to work, man. You know, so that being said, the valuable part of school is not just the content, but the effort it takes to get past the obstacles, to learn from other kids, be in the same room, all the social learning that happens, all the social lessons that happen you know, and, and learning that when you say something stupid about someone else, it's going to come back. And that's a painful experience for you as it should be like those types of high school lessons. That's what I, I really hope we can get back to. So we, so kids can learn. Hmm. So then as like a final question, cause I know we're, we're coming up on time here. What I actually have two questions. Cause I'm, I want to cheat on that. Um, what is, the number one thing that you think we're going to take away from this period of remote learning and COVID and Zoom and how much better all the tech has gotten, how much more custom we've gotten to it. What do you, what do you see as like the biggest benefit of all of this once we do go back to like the primarily physical? Like what's the, the big takeaway, the most valuable thing? You know, man, I'm not sure if there's a biggest takeaway, but some, I think there's a list of critical ones. And one is the power of relationships that teachers have with their kids, because here's what I can tell you on a screen that um, uh, on, a, on a Zoom screen or whatever platform they're using for class online instruction, I can tell you there's a teacher um, that they have four kids that show up for that class. And there's another teacher teaching the same subject and they have 27 kids that show up for that class. And there's a reason, man. And the reason is because that relationship was either in place already before we went online or they, the kids can feel it because of the teacher takes time to get to know the kids. And you can do that in person. You can do it online. It works. And so I think it just reaffirms what we already knew. It still is hard for some teachers, man. Some teachers really believe because it worked for them that kids could sh should come into the classroom, sit down, be quiet, do what they're told, learn the information, take the test and pass. But again, man, that's not normal kids. Normal people need the value. They need to feel an emotional connection if they're going to learn. So I think that has reinforced this at the same time. On the opposite end of the spectrum, some kids thrive online way more so than in person not and just because of who they are just because how they came into the world and that's their personality and there's nothing wrong with it and in addition to that there's some teachers that were were mediocre at best in live instruction in the classroom with kids and they are crushing it online so i really think that what we can learn from this in terms of education is you know, we, we really have to provide more opportunities for kids that best fits their style and their DNA and how they happen to learn and their personality. Because when we look at it, you know, school doesn't fit most kids. Like it, what the traditional way that we do school doesn't fit most kids. Here's what I always tell people. No one talks about this, by the way, is if you live in a suburban district, 
call, call, call that school district and say, how many kids do we have kindergarten? They're going to give you a number. Then say, how many kids do we have graduating from high school this year? And that number is going to be about half. So the question is, where are all these kids going? It's not like we've had a, we're not doubling in population. The population isn't shifting that much. It's a, just a, a tiny percent. And what it is, is, we're losing those kids because school isn't a good fit for them. So when you think about, you know, what, 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 you know, a successful kid looks like as a graduating senior, they call that the top 10%. It's not really the top 10%. We've lost half the kids. It's really the top 5%. So all the other kids. So if you think about it that way, kids are just playing the game and getting out of there and they're not really learning. So I, I really hope that we can use this time to reevaluate and look at what was working before COVID, what is working online now, and bringing both those things together as we move forward. For your own business, what does that look like? It's the same thing, man. Here, first of all, selfishly, I love, I still love a live event. And if I can, if I can go back and do them all live, I will. However, I still will continue to make video content and, and, and have where teachers can learn one-on-one and get inspired um, I'll still continue to do what I'm doing and which is nice because some of this will live forever. But um, for me, just because of what I need, I, you know, I, I really want to get back in, in front of teachers in person. Beautiful. So then final question for you, if and when people fall in love with you during this interview and they want to learn more, they want to see some of this immortal video content, they want to, just get more of your energy and more of all this that you're talking about, where can they go to learn about it? Is there some way we can see some of these videos? Uh, yeah, where do we for do? sure. Is, um, and we go to uh, halbowman.com. And, um, uh, you know, again, it's the, the exclusive content. Um, I'm going to start putting out just a little bit. Because, again, man, people pay to get the exclusive content, so it's hard for me to put that out to the public. But um, And also on social, everywhere is at Hal Bowman. And I am, I, I am just I'm miserable at social media. I try. <laughs> I try just, but I just, I'm so not my thing. And, um, you know, the funny thing is I got a, you know, I got this Facebook following. It's like, I don't know, 60,000 or something like that of teachers, but it's all just because I had a viral video a few years back that had like 26 million views. And so they all came over from that. Is that but, the um, Finland one? No, this is, uh, I was yelling in the backyard at about a lady. I yelled at a lady is what it was. <laughs> it was a lady who, uh, it, you might have seen it, man. It's a lady who was uh, late for dropping her kid off at high school. And she decided to cut through the elementary parking lot. But she cut through during morning drop-off. And she's going over the cones. And there's little kids getting off buses. And she's cutting through. And the, the PE teacher, that the one guy that works at the elementary school, jumped on the hood of her car to try to get her to stop. And she wouldn't stop. And he's on the car talking to her through the windshield. And... Um, and when it made it to Fox News, they said they went, teacher goes crazy at the elementary school. I'm like, what? Dude, he's the hero. And so I got online, just I got fired up in the backyard and yelled at the Fox News. I yelled at the lady and it kind of took off. And which is funny because I've been doing this critical emotional work in schools for over a decade well, really for 30 years since I graduated from college. And one thing people know me for is being this old, angry man yelling about traffic in this backyard. Like that's my claim to fame. So. <laughs> you know, it's actually not surprising to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But let me tell you, dude, once you get 26 million views, your life gets a little weird for a few weeks. That is for sure. Yeah. Were you just getting like crazy amounts of messages? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, then I had to become friends with the kid. Because he started getting crazy. He was like a first year teacher. And so I had to find him. Reach out and said, Hey, brother. <laughs> sure, your life just got interesting. <laughs> like, well. <laughs> but he loved it. He said, No, man, it's been great. I just, he just, he said, What he told me, he said, I know, man. I just, I, I just, the front office, he was at his elementary school. They, they just dropped off a cheese log from Wisconsin that some teachers sent me a cheese log. <laughs> <laughs> because they're so happy with them. That's awesome. <laughs> got, yeah, so we we actually got to meet one time, and um, 
yeah, he's a great, he's a great guy. He's working on his uh, doctorate right now. Still doing PE elementary school, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Gosh, I feel like I have so many other questions, um, but it'll, it'll just have to be for another time. Uh, so many yeah. things around like just the intricacies of how you came up with the curriculum that you have now. And like, what, what's the parameters that you teach? Like, I'm sure, like, I know right now you have Teach Like a Rockstar and Be the One are the two things I saw that you... Yeah, we have that. And then our video series is called Change a Kid's Life. Mm. And, and, uh, and you know, the, really, the, without going into the, how the curriculum works, but the secret behind the whole thing is kind of what you know with, with your work is that um, I, don't think the, I don't think the profession matters, but I can't go in there and get on stage and say, all right, teachers, here's the five steps for, for whatever. Like it doesn't work that way because every teacher is gonna naturally think, well, he doesn't have Christina sitting in his front row because if he had her in class, he would know she doesn't play. You can't do that. So every teacher kind of has these built up walls. So what I have to do is, man, I just have to tell these deeply emotional, entertaining, anecdotal stories with the lessons secretly embedded in them. So the teacher thinks, you know what, I'm gonna do in my class. And now it's their idea and they own it. And that way they're gonna be more driven and and, uh, more invested in making it happen. Mm. You know, something when I teach on stage in particular, something that I'd lay out in the very beginning, I was gonna ask you if you ever just tell them that directly before you even get going. Cause I'll say, you know, there's two things here. There's like my responsibility to be an amazing teacher. And there's your responsibility to be an amazing student. And it's not about what I say. It's about what I spark in you. Yeah. Right. So don't take any of my lessons, make them your own. And like, you're going to have better ideas than I say up here. Yeah. You know, that's um, the real value. Dude. It's so true. You know, a a couple of things. One is um, there's a, a school I've been to a number of times called Betsy Lane high school. They're in the Appalachian mountains and I was talking, and they, um, Bill Gates went to visit because it's one of those schools deep in poverty. I mean, just all kind of addiction issues in Kentucky. And, um, and Bill Gates went to visit because it's one of those schools that have, they have no reason to be successful. They have every reason to fail and they are crushing it. I mean, just academic achievement and leadership achievement for kids. It's just unbelievable. And they went out there and I was talking to the principal and she said, well, well Bill and Melinda were asking me you know, how this all happened. She said, well, the, the catalyst where real things really turned is when Hal Bowman came and spoke to us. And I was like, that's not at all what it was. I, I, I said, listen, you had everything in place. Like you had the people, you had the beliefs, you had everything you need. All I did was like flip the light on in the room so you could see what you had like that was the real secret to it and and you know i i got a message yesterday from a lady talking about how she saw me 10 years ago in oklahoma and and it was the same thing as like you like you found what you were looking for like if you weren't searching for that if that if that desire wasn't inside of you you would have never heard that message and no one else in the room got the same message you did because they got whatever they were looking for mm-hmm. And, you know, I like, I think for me, man, like that is, um, that is the key to this whole thing is, you know, I saw, um, I don't know if you ever saw this documentaries with, um, oh, Jerry Seinfeld. It was about when he was, he was going to go back on stage. After the show ended, he was going to go mm-hmm. back on stage mm-hmm. and he would call his agent every night from the limo he would show in and do his do you know do stand up for just five minutes open mic try some things out and he calls agent and they talk about it and Seinfeld would have his notebook and he would go down he'd try this joke try that didn't work this one works that doesn't and he calls agent after this one he goes I don't know man I have to do that whole thing again uh because that audience sucked and I thought wait a minute is it possible that I on these gigs don't they don't go where I want them to go? Is it possible that it wasn't me? <laughs> you know, so just that realization helped me understand. You know, I'm going to get on stage, and I have this duct tape I put out on on the front of every stage. It just says passion and purpose, and all I know is I'm going to fill my soul with as much passion as I possibly can, and get really clear about my purpose on that stage on that day. 
and that's all I can do, man. Whether I got five people or 5,000, I just crush it at the same level. And at some point, it really kind of is up to them to get what they're looking for. Mic drop. <laughs> Which for the next time is my whole line of questioning is now the intricacies of how you do what you do and why you've been so successful and, and all those great things. So we'll, we'll do another interview at some point about all of that, but perfect. Bowman, thank you so much for doing this, for coming on, um, for sharing the stories, for sharing all these like strategies um, and just like sharing the time together and just connecting and catching up after it's been so long. So I really, really appreciate it. And it's so cool to see that you're doing your thing and you're living with passion and purpose and you're doing it in a new way and to hear the struggles that you went through in the beginning of this whole thing and how you're getting through it and to hear about what's coming into the future. And I'm just excited. I'm really pumped because now it's also like, I want to see how we can get you to like their schools and, and do those things and just like spread that information, you know? I love it, man. And uh, dude, shout out to you, brother. You know, it's, I remember talking about you uh, with Cunningham and the funny thing is um, I just talked the other day and I was like, like, you're what, like, there's very few kids that come through that, like, they haven't changed. Like, you're the same dude. It's like, you're like this, you know, this adult purpose driven human being passionate about the world, even back then. And, um, and just to see you stay on that same trajectory and just really focus on, you know, making a difference in the lives of people and the world. And, and it seems like every time, every year, there's some new, there's some new approach that you have, some more platform that you're using to get the message out there. And dude, it's just awesome. And I mean, I'm not your dad or anything, but damn, brother, I'm proud of it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Yeah. Yeah.